Hello, everyone, and welcome to yet another edition of Bavarian Podcast Works. This is I Need No Name, slightly under the weather today, joined by Siler, also known as Rayan. Hey, Siler, how are you doing? Yeah, a bit under the weather as well, but excited to get into this today. Yeah, not exactly excited for the reasons you may think, because right now Bayern Munich is nothing but a source of misery for us, especially with the way that the things are going on the pitch and off the pitch. Just full disclosure, there are going to be certain topics addressed in this podcast, topics such as domestic abuse and assault and suicide and heavy topics such as that. We will try to be as respectful to the victims as we can while we discuss this, but this is going to be in general, still a football-oriented podcast and especially a Bayern Munich-oriented one. And I would also ask anyone who has a particular, I don't know, issue with those topics to just skip from that particular part of the podcast to the end because it is not going to be our entire topic. We have a lot more to discuss than that certain player. So I think that we should actually start off with the team itself. And Sander, I know you did the post-game review of Bayern Munich's, well, draw over RB Leipzig yesterday. So can you give me an idea of just what are your thoughts after all that? Because I think people already know what I think of Thomas Tuchel, and none of that's changed. Well, um, I've been pretty clear in the fact that I don't think Tuchel was uh, the right fit for Bayern at the time. I still think that, well, I used to think that he was still a pretty good coach, but his performances in the last few weeks have been genuinely dreadful. Like, I don't know how a professional football coach can come into a game this unprepared. I think I said this in the uh, the Team Slack channel, which is that I did more tactical preparation for this match than Thomas Tuchel did because I actually analyzed how Leipzig play and he didn't very clearly in the way that Bayern approached the game. It was dreadful and I think Tuchel should be gone as soon as possible, but I don't think it's going to happen. Well, you know what my prediction is, but the thing is that I have to agree with you. And what you said about analyzing the Leipzig game and what Tuchel did in terms of preparation, it is completely valid because some of the decisions Tuchel made and continues to make on a regular basis, it just baffles me over and over again. And I think the major one, aside from tactics, aside from the nitty-gritty tactical details, you just have to start from his choice on the pitch, like his starting 11. First of all, let's start with one player in particular, Nusser Matraoui and Conrad Leimer. What is going on with them? Why is Conrad Leimer starting over Matraoui? Can you give me any good reason for that to happen? Well, uh, we have to look back at the transfer window that we just had. Um, We, of course, chased Kyle Walker for quite a while. And I remember pointing out back then that Conrad Leimer and Kyle Walker have very similar profiles as a right back. They're both not that gifted on the ball, but they're both good at pressing and they're both ridiculously quick. And they have very similar profiles on the ball. So I think he's just trying to turn Limer into the Walker replacement, but it's obviously not working because Limer is not as good as Mazrawi and Limer is not as good as Walker either as a right back. I guess that is a decent enough explanation. I did not consider it from that perspective. But honestly, like it's just one of those things. Like I don't understand what to con- really has against Matsurawi. When he plays, he performs. I don't think he has had a bad game on the Tupol. So why can't he get a start? This goes, the same thing goes for guys like Matthias Delict and Thomas Muller. Like, why are they glued to the bench? They don't even come on as substitutes. And I think that's quite damning in terms of how Tupol views these players on his team. Like, you can say that, well, 
Bayern Munich have other options on the bench and they can bring on other people. But the fact is that these are some exceptional players. And Tuchel, not only is he saying that he won't use them in the starting eleven, he won't even use them. And he's 2-0 down at a game like Leipzig, which is one of the biggest games of the Hinrunda. What do you think that this says about the status of these players in the setup at the moment? I think Tuchel is trying to hyper-focus the team on what roles they play within a system rather than the quality of the player. I think you know as well as I do that I believe that they like to be possibly the best centre-back in the world and definitely the best centre-back in our team. But his passing style doesn't match what Tuchel wants. Tuchel wants centre-backs that can play long balls consistently. And of course, Delict is not that kind of player. Tuchel wants a primary crosser who's really quick at right back. And of course, Mazraoui isn't that, but Limer is. Tuchel wants a player who can play through tight spaces a lot through the middle. And that's why Muziala and Chupa Moteng get starts over Thomas Muller. He's just trying to, you know... Uh, arrow in and like really narrow down on a role that he wants fulfilled rather than the quality of player and the team is suffering for it because the players are just not ready for it. It is just the most backwards way of setting up a team because as far as I was aware, coaches were supposed to attune their tactics towards the players and not the players doing it to the coach. That seems like a completely backwards way to go. And I know that this ties into a certain argument I've seen used to defend Tuchel, which is that Bayern Munich did not get him exactly what he wanted in the transfer window. Do you think that's a valid argument to defend what Tuchel has been doing? Because I'm just going to preface this by saying I don't. I think that even if Bayern had got Joao Palinia and whoever it was at right back that he wanted, it would not translate to better performances because I think there is a genuine rot within the Tuchel system that goes well beyond anything that the players individually can do. It is shown whenever Harry Kane never gets the ball. It is shown whenever Jamal Muziala is isolated and dispossessed. It is shown whenever Leroy Sané is forced to dribble diagonally inside instead of playing to his strengths. It is just, it is a mess really. And it feels like Tuchel is just coming at this completely from the wrong angle. What do you think? I think there's two sides to the argument because you can say that a coach does need his profiles. But if you're someone like Thomas Tuchel, who's a coach with such tenure and so much experience, you have to be able to adapt. You can't complain about the fact that this player doesn't move exactly the way you want them to. You have to have a little bit of adaptability. And this team is full of very versatile players. It's not like they're all attuned to a certain role and he's not able to get them out of that shell. They're all playing in roles that they've either played earlier in their careers or they've never played before. In some cases, they're comfortable. In some cases, they're not. You have to be able to adapt to their strengths. You can't just keep playing the way you want to play. That's fair enough. And it's just, when do you think Tuchel is going to learn that lesson? Because it's been a while now. We have a very worrying record against top teams in Europe right now. Like, I would not say, now this is going to be a matter of debate, what constitutes a top team. But I would say that teams like Dortmund and Manchester United, who Tuchel have beaten, they don't really constitute a top team, in my opinion. Top teams for me are Manchester City, uh, teams like RB Leipzig, and by Leverkusen and against them, Tuchel has been found wanting over and over again. And on the subject of transfers, I'm just going to say that he got the absolute blockbuster signing in Harry Kane and he does not seem to be able to use him at all. So what makes us think that if he had gotten his other transfers, he would be used 
able to use them any better. At this moment, it feels like in certain aspects, Matthew Tell almost performs better than Kane in this messed up system. Well, yeah, I do agree with you in that Tuchel is completely unable to use the players he has right now. I think it's more because of the fact that he's trying to make the team play the way it would if all the transfers went through. And that's just a really stupid idea of him. Like, it just seems like he doesn't want to learn. Tuchel's been known for being quite stubborn over his squad tactics. We've seen this at PSG, at Dortmund, at Chelsea even. He kind of just was very rigid in the way he played. And we saw that he doesn't do well with big number nines. I mean, we saw what happened with Lukaku. Um, His best years at PSG and Dortmund were both without proper target number nines because Aubameyang was a player who ran in, you know, very late or very early. He would run in behind defenses. And the same goes for Kylian Mbappe at PSG. These were the players that he succeeded the most with. And they're not traditional number nines. So why did he ask for someone like Harry Kane? What's going on here? I think it's more of a case of the fact that Tuchel looked at the personnel around and he tried to come up with um, a more modern solution, which is to have a playmaking number nine. But the way that Kane is playing just doesn't seem like he's a playmaker. The only time he drops are of his own volition. There seems to be no tactical nous behind the way he's moving. It's just he's coming back because he wants to get on the ball. Tuchel doesn't really know what to do with him. That is kind of damning. And he continues to get goals because he's pretty good. And I will push back against the sentiment that Kane is not performing well in the system because, well, the system is not really in any way, shape or form built to supply him. So it's not really his fault. Overall, his individual performances have been quite good. But I think this can this exact same narrative can be applied to a lot of other players, a lot of other players who are being misused in the system that they are in currently. And they don't get the same leeway as Harry Kane because they are not a 100 million euro transfer from the English Premier League. Would you agree with that? Guys like, you know, Goretzka or Kimmich or certain other players, because we can clearly see that the system is not built for Kane. Why is it that certain players other than him get so much criticism? Well, it's because their performance has been pretty poor too. And unlike Kane, they don't have the individual quality to paper over the cracks. We see players like Leroy Zane paper over the cracks because Leroy Zane is a fantastic footballer. But we can see that in the role that he's in, he's massively overworked. He's doing so much of the heavy lifting in the final third. And then you see someone like Kingsley Coman who doesn't have the same quality. And he's just struggling. He's completely indecisive. He turns one way, he turns the other way, he doesn't know what to do, he passes it back to Davies. Davies turns one way, turns the other way, doesn't know what to do, passes it back to Kim, and we're U-shaping again. It's the same thing every time. It's because the players are directionless. It's only when someone grabs the ball by the neck and tries to do something of their own volition that we get anything done. It's interesting that you mentioned the U-shape because it is always said that the U-shape is a problem with the tactics and not the players. It is. And it's being exacerbated by the fact that Tuchel doesn't know how to set up midfield at all. We saw this especially against the against RB Leipzig yesterday, where Kimmich and Goretzka were just completely lost. Kimmich was dropping back into the defensive line for some reason, despite the fact that the strikers weren't pressing the centre-backs and there was no real need for an extra player in the back there to make it at 3v2. Kimmich and Goretzka could comfortably sit behind the strikers to receive. And if the double pivot followed them, Musiala would be free. That was such an easy overload to predict and use, but Tuchel just did not do it. And Goretzka also just completely went missing. He's back to not being present in build-up. And it's just not working. The only way to get out of the defensive third is by playing it to the fullbacks, but the fullbacks aren't able to win their 1v1s every time. So we're turning back and going to the goalkeeper. Exactly. And it is kind of damning that, in my opinion, this is 
not necessarily a Thomas Tuchel issue at Bayern Munich. I think we had this issue somewhat under Nagelsmann and even Hansi Flick in the past. But under Tuchel, it feels like it's just been dialed up to 11. And especially because, in my opinion, it used to be that at Bayern Munich, the fullbacks would very much help in the midfield buildup. That is something that is completely missing from Thomas Tuchel's setup. I don't know why, where it's gone, or why it has been removed, but I think it partially might have to do with the profiles of players on offer. It is weird because you think about this, you put a midfielder in Conrad Leimer at right back. You, he should, theoretically, since he is a midfielder, he should be able to play as an inverted fullback and add to the midfield in addition to his fullback role, but he just isn't. Nusser Matrai would be so much better for that. Yeah, I was about to say the exact same thing. Like, if only Bayern Munich had a fullback who was extremely gifted on the ball and had the technical ability to invert and play as a double pivot and has experience playing in a double pivot alongside Joshua Kimmich under a previous manager. Oh, wait, we do have one. Oh, yeah, we do, don't we? Arguably, arguably, this is all coming back to the manager, isn't it? And, like, what do you say to the critics that put a lot of this, maybe 90% of this, on individual mistakes? which is to say that they are kind of correct. There are mistakes from players like Sven Ulreich, and there are mistakes from certain parts of the defense or the midfield. What do you say to that aspect of the fan base? I think they're not completely wrong because the play has been sloppy, especially at the back. I think Upamecano has been very mistake-prone in the last couple of weeks. Sven Ulreich has never been even Bundesliga quality. I don't know why we insist on him when we even have Daniel Peretz now. It's not like we have a lack of options, but... With Neuer back, there should be some more calm in defense. With Delic back, hopefully Upamecano gets a rest and he can come back to sharpness. Conrad Leimer is not in the right position. He, he is bound to make those mistakes. That's on Tuchel for putting him in an unfamiliar situation and hoping that he performs. Kingsley Coman is in a role that he has never excelled in, really. And Tuchel is insisting on playing him there. Musiala is losing sharpness quickly. And again, Tuchel is doing nothing to fix it. He's constantly tinkering with the way Musiala plays instead of giving him a clear role. These are man management mistakes that are resulting in mental lapses from the players. He needs to be better at this. I have to agree. And this is the thing that I keep saying, that if the entire team is showing these kinds of mental lapses and downturns in performance, then you can't really just blame each and every single player. And Bayern Munich are not Manchester City or PSG. We are not going to go out into the next transfer window and spend a billion euros to completely revamp the squad for Thomas Tuchel, especially when a lot of these players are completely proven in alternate systems and under different managers. So therefore... It has to come back to the coach. It has to come back to his tactics and the way he is using the talent at his disposal. I'm glad we um, agree on that. And I'm glad that you actually articulated it better than I could. It is an absolute farce the way we are playing. And personally, I'm just going to say this. I don't think that the return of Manuel Neuer is going to change a lot for Bayern Munich in terms of what happens at the back. I don't think that Sven Ulreich is that good. But I also don't think he is the cause of any of our drop points or losses this season, or at least a sole cause. I would say that if we had a much better or robust tactical system, we would have won these games against Leipzig and Leverkusen because fundamentally we have the best team in Germany, right? In terms of squad, even if you look at the deficiencies at certain positions. Yeah, I would have to agree with you that Ulreich isn't the one who's completely to blame. It is the system, or rather the lack of a system that's causing these problems. Because even if you look back to the season under, I believe it was Ancelotti, where Ulreich was the keeper for pretty much a full season, we still won the league. 
And it's yes. not like we struggled to win the league. And that was when Tuchel was manager of Dortmund. That was one of the best Dortmund sides that we'd seen in a while. It was the Dortmund side that had Dembele, Pulisic, and Aubameyang as a front three with Roy sat right behind them. That was a really good Dortmund team. It's not like we struggled to win the league against that team. We are capable of winning even with an unideal situation in goal, but it's just not happening right now. It's because the tactics are poor. Yes, exactly. And I just want to make an additional comment on that. Back then, the coach was actually Jupp Heynckes and leading up to Angelotti's sacking is very interesting. The narratives were very similar. People were saying, when you have a goalkeeper like Sven Ulreich, what is the coach supposed to do? The coach cannot work with the players that he has at his disposal. And Bayern Munich were completely negligent in not getting players that Angelotti wanted. This was a very common narrative at the time. This was despite the fact that Bayern Munich had gotten James Rodriguez for him that season. So you can see that this is a pattern that develops every single time a coach starts underperforming for Bayern Munich. When Eupankis came in, not only did the team's performances improve, Ulreich's performances itself improved. And you ask anyone who watched that season, he was pretty good, except for that final game against Real Madrid, where you know he had those gaffes that led to Benzema scoring. Other than that, he was extremely solid and a very worthy understudy to Manuel Neuer. And he was, in fact, considered for being called up to the German national team that year. Such was his performance. And that was back when German, the German national team was actually worth something. It wasn't the complete, you know what, we see today. It was actually a really prestigious thing. And Ulreich was considered for that. People were absolutely impressed. So it just comes back to the fact that when all the excuses start flying, it's generally a symptom of the manager. And I'm going to ask you this final question about the manager. How much longer do you think he should be given? A month tops. A month, yeah. If there is an international break in this month, as you know. Do you think? No, three weeks is enough to... He can figure it out. It's barely an international week, too. There's a Mainz game about eight days after a Germany game. The first Germany mm-hmm. game. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. Okay, I think that is all we need to say about Tuchel, really. But we do have to... I think that's all we have to say. Do you have anything else to say? Tuchel out. Okay, that's good. Tuchel Rouse. At least I'm not the only one. But let's go into the other topic, which is still not pleasant, arguably even more unpleasant, which is the fact that this was a surprise news drop from Florian Plittenberg yesterday, which is, it was dropped right after the game, which is, just imagine that whammy. (sighs) Jerome Boateng is currently training with Bayern Munich, and he is currently in talks to sign a contract as a free agent. We don't know the duration of the contract he will sign. We do not know what the terms will be, what the salary will be, what anything really will be about this contract. But we do know two things. First, we know that Boateng has not played for a very long time. He has his last season after he left Bayern Munich. He did not even play for Lyon. He was injured for most of that season. He made only eight appearances, I believe, and only played 90 minutes in one of them. His body has been a complete wreck in recent years. And on top of that... This is the major one, in my opinion. And this is the thing that really disgusts me about the fact that we are even considering this. His domestic assault conviction, which happened after he left Bayern Munich, but was alleged to have happened around 2018, back when, right after Germany lost, got knocked out in the World Cup that year. I am I'm just so, so, so disappointed that Bayern Munich would even consider him after what has happened. It is just unconscionable, given 
the values that the club purports to, you know, support, why would you ever allow Jérôme Boateng back to this club? Why would you ever do something like this? And it just goes to show that some of that Miesan family, you know, business that we have been getting used to recently, it has truly eroded away. I, I want to hear your thoughts on this. I am honestly so disgusted. I can barely talk about this topic. I, I cannot recognize my club when it comes to this decision. Yeah, I'm, I'm fully with you on this. It's the kind of decision that makes me want to distance from Bayern Munich. It's it's a horrendous, morally abhorrent decision. It's You just can't hold yourself to any values and then try and you know get someone with his record in court onto the team and offer him a contract like it it's very public what he's done and he's been convicted of it there is no doubt that it happened and even if i there is there is no world in which you can justify something like this having a person like this in the locker room while preaching the values of family and safety and equality and i don't know treating people with respect like Exactly, it, exactly. It is it, it, it disgusts it's, me. It's completely tonal dissonance here. And it just kinda it, it makes everything that Bayern Munich does from that perspective seem like complete marketing. And we knew that the statements always rang a little bit hollow, given the Qatar Airways sponsorship. You remember that fiasco, oh my goodness. But like this would be, I think, genuinely a step too far because it is so so unnecessary to do. It does not bring anything to the club that I can see as like conscionable and like I'm not even going to you know there is something that really disturbs me about the fan base is the number of people on Twitter and Reddit and sites like that social media sites who are actually defending this move I do not understand it at all how can you defend this move and they are saying it is just a spectrum of reactions. People are saying Tupel is right to bring him in. There's some weird Tupel fanboyism going on here. Some people are just misogynistic. They don't believe the allegations happened at all. And it's like when you attract these types of people into the fan base, they're here to stay. They are not going away. And this is not the kind of culture. This is not what Mia San Mia means. What is Bayern Munich doing? What is the message that Bayern Munich is going to be sending out by Sani Jaren Boateng? It is the most absurd thing. Morally, financially, from a footballing perspective, everything. It's just disastrous. And I genuinely have to question what the people in charge think. It is like, it. I hope there are genuine mass protests, not just at the suit curve, but in every home game from now on, if Jean Boateng is signed, it would be a travesty. I'm going to have to agree with you completely on that. And unfortunately, it seems like there's no turning back on this. As even Fabrizio Romano says that the deal is in its final stages right now. I was going to get to this point, and I'm, I'm going to have to say something about this because I have seen a certain line of argument. This is the only potentially coherent line of argument from the pro Boateng people. I can't believe they exist, which is that Bayern Munich already gave chances to previous domestic abusers like Kingsley Coman and Lucas Hernandez. And therefore, why is Jerome Boateng any different? Now, I'm going to have to tread very carefully here because I don't want to make it a case of whataboutism or go into too much of unknowns here because we don't necessarily know all the facts in all of these cases. But I think the most major problem with that line of thinking is that Boateng was much older than these two when their case took 
place. And in this case, I believe that Boateng's case was much, much, much more serious. And Boateng's case was, he was convicted as the sole aggressor. In Kingsley Coman and in Lucas Anandes' cases, they were not exactly, that is not exactly what happened. Instead, they were made to pay fines. And I believe certain things happened, but that is not to the level of what Boateng did. I don't want to make excuses for domestic violence. This is something abhorrent and it is absolutely not something that Bayern Munich should be associated with or even try to associate with. But I understand the club's decision-making on those cases, whereas with this case, I absolutely do not understand it. It is completely different. And if you look at it from an any kind of nuanced perspective, there is no way you can really... There's no way you can condone the club's actions here. Yeah, I'm going to have to side with you on this. There is... There's no justifying it at all. I'm extremely frustrated by this decision from the club. And it's yeah, it's a it series just, of bad decisions. It's just so, so many bad decisions. And I'm going to not belittle the issue of Jerome Boateng's domestic abuse thing, because I think that is the most important thing here. I think that is the most important part of the conversation. But also, just for the sake of completeness of this conversation, what does he bring to the squad at this stage of his career? Like, why, even if he was potentially squeaky clean, why would you bring him on? What is the reasoning behind that? I just don't understand. I understand that Tuchel wants a proper passing defender, but Boateng at this stage, when he's so old, when he has not been fit for years and years and years, it's just, it makes no goddamn sense. And I'm not belittling what happens with the situation with domestic assault. It's not... It is still my primary concern. I'm just saying that this is also an additional factor that we should keep in mind when it comes to the conversation. I'm a smaller factor, but it should be there. Yeah, it's just, it's a poor decision all around, even footballing-wise. As you said, like, his profile may have been the right one five years ago, six years ago. He is not a very good footballer right now. Even in his last couple of seasons with Lyon, he got benched by Castello Lukeba, who's at RB Leipzig right now. In fact, he scored against us two days ago. He benched Boateng while he was 19 years old and completely inexperienced at a top level. And Boateng's what last season that? at Bayern Munich, remember that? Like it we, was were complaining, we, were, we were complaining about Boateng and Alaba literally every week. It was absurd. To be fair, that was also down to Flick's systemic instabilities in defence. But Alaba yeah, and Boateng's, Alaba and Boateng's uh, how do I describe it, volatile performances didn't help either. Yeah, it is. It is ridiculous. What is what is going on with this club? And there is another very major topic that we have to discuss after this. So we're going to take a short break. So please stay tuned after this ad. I hope there will be playing an ad at this point. After this, we will come back and we will talk about Max Eberl and his what he could be doing when he eventually gets or comes in to buy Munich. And also we're going to do a very short preview of the Copenhagen game in the Champions League. So stay tuned for that. Welcome back, everyone, to Bavarian Podcast Works. This is Siler, and I need no name. And we are going to move on to our next topic, which is Max Eberl. So in case you've been out of the loop, Max Eberl used to be Borussia Mönchengladbach's sporting director. He was a very long-time target of Bayern Munich and Uli Hannes in particular. Eventually, he did resign from his position at Gladbach, citing stress and later he ended up going to RB Leipzig to become their sporting director which was a bit of a scandal at the time 
Now what has happened, which was announced just before the game, RB Leipzig have sacked Iberl with immediate effect. He is still under contract with them. So if, for example, a team were to want him to take over their operations, they would have to pay RB Leipzig a fee. But Iberl was allegedly sacked because he refused to deny the recent links with Bayern Munich, which were in the media. So, first of all, Sadar, what do you think about the possibility of Iberl coming to Bayern Munich from a sporting perspective? It's one that really excites me. Even more than Christoph Freund, the possibility of Max Iberl working in Bayern Munich is extremely exciting because Iberl is somebody who's known to be really good with his transfers as well as with moving players up academy divisions. I think that he would be really good at Bayern because he's the kind of player, uh, he's the kind of person who can spot players at very early stages in their careers. And we've been missing that ever since Matthias Zammer left. Would you say that because Brazil, to be fair, did did get a few massive wins under his belt? Like, well, you can only have to look at Alfonso Davies, Jamal Muziala, Matthew Tell. These guys are no slouches. They are pretty good and they were signed at very young ages. So I think that's a little bit unfair to Brazil. I would say that I'm not against Brazil. Brazil was great too, but he wasn't on the level that Zamer was because Zamer would spot players like Kimmich who were playing in lower leagues and lower divisions and had the potential to come up to higher divisions. Matis Tell was playing in the under-20 Euros. Musiala was in the Chelsea Academy. And even Alfonso Davies was playing at a high level in the MLS as a 17-year-old. But Matthias Zamer got Kimmich. He got Gnabry. Even um, now with Max Eberl, he got players like Marco Reus from Rotweiss Ireland, who are in, I believe, the fourth division of German football right now. He got players like Marcus Turam from Guingamp, who were in the second division of France at the time. He got Dante from Standard Liège, who were, I think, in the second division of Belgium at the time. These are very obscure leagues. But Max Eber managed to spot these players in these very obscure positions and bring them to the forefront. That's what's That's... missing from Bayern right now. That is fair, but what about his record as the guy who gets the big signings done? Because Bayern Munich is not all about promoting youth. In fact, a very small part of our business is about that. Brazo did try to make it more of his focus by buying players like Tal, Gravenberch, etc., etc. But it turned out Bayern Munich just prefers its experienced, established stars. So wouldn't you say that Max Eberl, in that sense, is maybe a little underqualified? No, because Max Eberl knows how to build a squad much better than even Thomas Tuchel does at this point. And Max Eberl knows that it's not always... how to build a squad better than Thomas Tuchel. The guy, <laughs> yeah, the guy does not so. have a clue, my goodness. But anyway, yeah, continue. But Max Eberl is good at spotting players who aren't exactly in the earliest stages of their careers. You know, he signed players like Andreas Christensen and Lars Tindl and Jonas Hoffman and Matthias Ginter. Even Granite Jack and, you know, players like... Rahami Bonsabaini, these are players who weren't just starting out. They were players who had a couple of seasons under their belt. In the case of Lars Tindl, he was a bit more tenured at Hanover. These are players who weren't in the starting berths of their careers. These are players who had experience. And Ibril still knew how to pick them because they're all players who have stuck. They're all players that he had faith in and have delivered. He has pretty much never had a transfer fail on him which for a 15-year-long career as a sporting director and academy manager, that is an impressive record. Okay, okay, that's fair. And I guess that explains why Uli Hannes wants him so badly. But I'm going to put 
two arguments on the table here. First of the first of all, there is the fact that Max Ebrol did resign from Borussia Mönchengladbach, citing stress related to his work. Now, as we know, Bayern Munich is one of the most stressful jobs in world football. We saw Brazil literally his hair and beard turned white while he was in charge here. He wasn't that old at the beginning, but by the end, he looked like he had aged like thirty years in a few in a few years. But Eberl, do you think? And I'm going to preface this by saying I think that the conversation around mental health in football is not there where it should be yet, and a person like Eberl is completely entitled to take time off work to look after his health in order to, you know, just get back on his feet. And stressful working conditions can be a reason leading to a downturn in performance and causing burnout. I'm just saying that is he truly going to be a long-term option for Bayern given that he has burned out once already? Or do you think that the Gladbach situation was just an exceptional set of circumstances? Because I remember Gladbach were having a difficult time that back then. Well, he was with Gladbach for 13 years before he called it quits. So I think he has the option to go long-term. But yeah, the Gladbach situation was beyond extraordinary for what was happening in the club. It just was completely unprecedented. And to see him step away from it was quite tragic. But I think if he thinks he's ready for the Bayern Munich job, he knows the risks just as well as we do. He should take it if he thinks he can take it, because I think he definitely has the talent for it. What about the risk for Bayern Munich? What do you think about his working together with someone like Stefan Freund. Aren't you running into the risk of having too many cooks in the kitchen? I wouldn't think so because Freund and Ibrahim are players or people that have very similar philosophies in the way they look at players and the way they look to develop players. And with Ibrahim being more of a board member than a direct sporting director, I think that their roles, while they may encroach upon each other a little bit, they tend to have the same ideas about football. They've both very well aligned with actually the Red Bull style of football. So I think their ideas will be very well aligned for the most part. Ah, uh, yes, the Red Bull style of football. The strange way that Red Bull, an energy drink company, has co-opted a certain brand of football and called it their own. That just, it, it rubs me the wrong way. But that's a discussion for another day. I'm going to have to ask, how much... How many more times do we have to get someone from the Red Bull system? Why are we consistently doing this? And is it really bringing us the success we want? Because I do not think so. Well, there's a reason everyone poaches from Red Bull. And it's because they've simply got the best scouting team in the world. There's a reason teams like Salzburg and Leipzig have come out of nowhere and completely blown everyone out of the water and continue to do that while making a profit. It is because their scouting and their teams are the best in the world. So it is natural that teams try to poach, but Bayern are doing it in such a haphazard way that it just doesn't seem to work. There needs to be a structure to it. And I think that with Freund and Eberl, it will be far more structured because they know how to plan a squad out. Prior to this, we were just picking here and there. We picked up Marcel Zabitzer when we didn't really need his profile at all. We picked up Ubekano, and while he has been a success at times, he's been inconsistent. There is still room to grow for him. And, I mean, Nagelsmann was a completely different situation. He must, he should have been given more time, and he wasn't given that amount of time. Fair enough. Um, what about Conrad Leimer, as we are seeing? That is also another Red Bull. Well, I, I'm not going to say a failure, but it is causing us trouble. I just feel like going in the direction of Red Bull does not do Bayern Munich any favors because the Red Bull model is very different from ours. It is a model based around getting young players, young talent, integrating into them, them into a squad, which 
includes a certain type of philosophy which is mirrored across their clubs, which allows the players themselves to grow and flourish. Bayern Munich, on the other hand, what is our philosophy when it comes to buying, let's say, young players? It is not necessarily that we sign players that will be looking to start and be developed immediately. For example, look at someone like Matthew Tell. He was signed the season after Robert Lewandowski left, but he was not signed to be an instant Lewandowski replacement. He was not signed to do that. He was signed because of his potential and he was signed so that he could get a little bit of time, a little bit of minutes. And we are seeing the results of that right now. It is very different to what Red Bull does with their young signings. I'm just wondering if this is really compatible with each other. It takes a while for a young player to even get a sniff of the pitch at Bayern Munich. You look at how long it took Alfonso Davies. It took him a full year after arriving for him to even get any significant minutes. And then eventually he became the best left back in the world. Jamal Muziala was also here for a full year, just learning the ropes before he got his first few appearances under Hansi Flick in the second season. Matty's Hell, again, second season. It takes a while. And Ryan Gravenbuch, which is an example that I want to be cautious of, Look at what happened to him. He was promised a certain amount of game time. He was promised a certain amount of development would be guaranteed for him. And he did not get that. And he immediately agitated for a transfer. So aren't we just setting ourselves up for more Gravenberch scenarios? Well, no, I wouldn't say so. Because we now have sporting directors who are more aware of the players that they're signing. And while Brazil did not share the same philosophy as Freund and Eberl, he did try somewhat to employ that philosophy. And it wasn't very clean because the board wasn't looking at player mentalities as much as they claim to be now. And we can see that the players that we've signed elsewhere, these are players who won't complain about minutes immediately. We have that in players like Delict, in players like Muller, in players like even Musiala. Musiala hasn't complained, I mean, publicly anyway, about the lack of minutes that he's been getting. Delict hasn't gotten frustrated prior to an extreme situation where he just was not getting time at all. And even that is after he had proven himself. It's not like Delict hadn't proven himself in the season prior. But we have players like, we have people like Eberl and Freund who know what they're doing in situations like this. They know what to promise players. They know that they have a platform that they can give players eventually. And they will say that it is an eventual plan. We can see that with the negotiations that are going on for the Adelaide United winger Nestori Rancuda, where we are saying that there is probably a couple years before he starts regularly, but he will be given minimal amounts of time immediately when he comes in. Listen, isn't that just Brazil 2.0? We're just repeating that same thing because it feels like the same thing. Well, the thing is, Brazil probably gave Gravenberg higher promises than that because Gravenberg did get minimal amount of minutes and he was not happy with it at all. Fair enough. But Gravenberg also, he was, he has been, as far as I'm hearing, pretty decent at Liverpool. He got an assist in one of their games. I don't know. I don't watch Liverpool and Tom has completely ceased communication with us. So the thing is that Gravenberg is my concern. It's my concern that if we pivot to this youth style setup, it is not going to fix the fact that Bayern Munich has this very powerful squad with some very big egos and the board who are in charge, they need to be people who are very good at managing and corralling those egos and understanding who to keep and who to cut out. It can't just be a squad building project from scratch. If you told me that 
if you told me about the project that you described being implemented at the team, for example, Man United, I would agree with you that it's an amazing idea. But Bayern Munich is not a work in progress. Bayern Munich is very much a finished product, which is only looking for one or two additions every single season, one or two major additions, a few minor additions every season to compete with the absolute best. And I'm just concerned that with Eberl, with Stefan Freund, and with KHR and Uli, and no real idea of who's going to be succeeding them, it's it's just very messy. And it's going to lead to more situations like we saw with Gravenberch, more situations like we saw with Joao Palinia, where Bayern Munich did not even make a proper bid until one or two days before the end of the transfer window. Those are my major concerns, on top of the fact that Freund and Ebrel, they don't have the necessary experience working together, first of all, and working with Tuchel, second of all, and working um, at Bayern Munich, a team like Christoph Freund, not Stefan Freund. Oh, my God. I keep saying that. Well, the thing is, it's not like Freund and Ebrel aren't aware of the fact that Bayern are a very experienced team. And we can see then the fact that Freund already seems to be pushing for Jao Palinia almost as hard as Thomas Tuchel is. These are very smart guys. They know when... They know what the team needs as well as we do, far better than we do and far better than Tuchel does for sure. They know that the team is a few pieces away from perfection. Well, perfection is a strong word, but it's a few pieces away from being a really strong unit. But we have to look beyond that too. We cannot just look at the now because Jao Pelinia is 28. Within four years, we're going to have a defensive midfielder problem again because we're going to have Goretzka, Palinia and Kimmich who are all 32. We're going to exactly. have that problem again. So we need long-term solutions. And we know that Freund and Ebrel are good at finding long-term solutions. And they're especially good at finding profiles that are good understudies for current starting profiles. If you look at the RB Leipzig squad right now, if you look at their midfield, you have Kevin Campbell and Zava Schlager. These are two excellent players. And they work really well together in a midfield pivot. But what's even better is the fact that they have backups who are almost... Perfect matches for their profiles. We have Amadou Haidara and we have, uh, what's his name? The new signing, Nicholas Zaival from Red Bull Salzburg. These are two perfect replacements for Kampel and Schlager. They perform the exact same role and they have very similar qualities. These are really good pickups from Leipzig. And Zaival and Schlager are both Max Eberl buys. He bought the same profile twice and he hit the nail on the head twice. That's fair enough. That is an interesting argument and I can't really argue Against it, it is just my... You understand why I am apprehensive, right? After seeing how the Brazo and Khan system or the regime imploded after what was considered a pretty decent start, it is... I am understandably skeptical of any management that takes over for Karl Heinz, Rummenigger and Uli Hoeneß because these two are giants. And honestly, I don't even know what they are doing right at this moment because this Boateng thing has completely crushed my faith in the club and its top decision makers. It is ridiculous. I want to make something clear about Airbrel, though. There are rumors about him that he faked his so-called burnout at Gladbach so that he could leave and take a sabbatical and then go to RB Leipzig. And he had a deal with Leipzig already. And this has only become louder with the recent reveal that he has, well, he's been tapped up by Bayern Munich. So it seems that Eberl does seem to have a bit of a streak on that regard. Do you think 
the way Abel conducted himself with Leipzig, that is going to be a problem for him? Or do you just think that when Bayern Munich knocks, you answer, it doesn't matter who you are? I think it's a case of both. But we also have to consider Max Eberl's personal uh, bias in this situation because Eberl has stated that this is his dream job to work for Bayern Munich. He has lots of links to Munich and Bavaria. So I would, I mean, if I was a lifelong Bayern fan, which so far that's, I have been. That's interesting, you know, because he was actually offered the job before. And at the time, I think it was before Brazo was hired, when Matthias Sammer was he was gone, and I think Bayern Munich spent a year without a sporting director. Back then, Ebrol was offered the job, and he chose instead to extend with Gladbach. And part of the reason given at the time, this was a very common narrative, was that he was not happy with having to work with someone like Karl-Heinz Rummenigge and Uli Hoeneß above him. He was afraid that he would not get that freedom. That's why he turned them down. And do you think that rejection makes you more wary of Averill this time around? I think if he's accepting of the job this time with both of them at the helm, it only shows that either he's grown as a character or the perception of Uli and Karl-Heinz Rummenigge has changed. Because well, we've seen in the last few months that despite our perception of Uli Hoeneß and Karl-Heinz Rummenigge as being very limiting on transfers, we've just broken our club record fee and by quite a bit for Harry Kane. And we were about to go and spend another 50 million euros on Jao Palinha. Clearly, something has changed. And that's something being the worst season Bayern Munich can remember in the last decade. But, well, it is just one of those things I need to... Cons- well, I'm just concerned about because Max Eberl, I don't know necessarily if all the positives that he brought at Gladbach will translate to Bayern Munich. This is a job. And you can mostly say this about coaches. The coaches that take this job... They really do underestimate it and they think that they can do their own thing. And then they get either found out or they realize that they have to adapt to Bayern Munich and do the Bayern thing. Will Eberl and Freund be the latter or will they be the former? And I don't know if we can afford the former, especially with a lot of key contract extensions coming up. There is the fact that Eberl, if he were to be signed, there is the potential that Marco Nepe, who is our chief scout, he could leave. What do you think about that? I think that Nepa is very important to the way we finance our deals as the technical director, and he has obviously been very important to our scouting. So it would be a shame to see him leave. But if we get Ibril in return, I would be accepting of it. Of course, it would be reluctant because Nepa has been such a good servant of the club. Ideally, I would keep all of them together. Me too, but it just feels like a case of this club isn't big enough for all of us because... Nepe has been has had his role at Bayern Munich questioned ever since Brazil was sacked, even though he allegedly did a lot of good work during the summer convincing our targets, especially Harry Kane, to sign. So I don't know what's going on with Nepe. And it just kind of exemplifies the question of how succession is going to be handled at Bayern Munich. For me, it is a very messy topic, and it's a topic that I don't necessarily see being resolved very soon. This is also why... I have to say that I'm very frustrated with Tuchel because I feel that this is our chance. You know, this is our chance to really, we have a really good squad. We could win a treble right now. And Tuchel seems to be scuttling that. And a few years from now, this window will be gone and we'll need to really rebuild. That is, it it just feels like Tuchel is wasting that. He definitely is. And I think that we definitely need to figure this out very quickly because our players are only getting older. These are the best years of their careers possibly yeah. even past them. I think 28, 29, 
and then it's over after that. Yeah, we have so many players in the 28 plus age range. It is ridiculous. And they're all experienced players, but they make a lot of money and they have long contracts, but those contracts will be expiring when they are 32. That At that point, Bayern Munich will be facing what I believe Liverpool, in effect, faced a season ago, where an entire generation that brought them success suddenly aged out of their prime years and they were suddenly unable to maintain the performances from their previous season. I, I'm really worried about something like that. Generally, in the past, we've been very good at moving on from players before they age out of their prime, but this feels like a train wreck really waiting to happen. Yeah, and that's why we need people like Freund and Ebro because they are so good at finding replacement. Fair enough, fair enough. What do you think? I guess that is the end of the discussion on the sporting director question. What do you think about the upcoming game against Copenhagen? We're going to get mauled 7-0, I think, and then Tuchel will do a tap-down side full-time. Okay, that is an interesting prediction. I think, have you seen the pictures of Copenhagen's pitch after that concert? Yeah, it looked tragic. It, yeah, it, I, I am Jesus. not. I'm not looking forward to any of our players playing on that. It is. It looks like it. It, it looks like a dirt track. It is that bad, and I don't know how UEFA can allow that kind of a pitch in the Champions League. It just looks so so horrible. Realistically, though, yeah, should be should we expect Copenhagen to put up a fight? Yes, they definitely will. How I can see us drawing against them, honestly. Honestly, at the the way we're playing right now, I could see us drawing against them. Or we win, but it's only going to be down to individual brilliance from Zane and Kane once again. That's nothing new, honestly. It, it is... How is it that we can predict this? Do you expect any rotation? I don't think Zane and Kane are getting dropped anytime soon because the second they do, Tuchel's going to start losing every game. Well, to be fair, he did beat Preuss and Munster without them. So, uh, take that. Mm, that's 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 you drive a hard bargain there. I do think Bayern Munich do need to take into account the fact that they did beat a third division team. Was it third division? Are Preussen Munster in the third division? Yes, yes, they are. Yeah, well, not for long. They are very much near the bottom of the third division. I mean, yeah, it's a, it's a third division side. It's a pretty big game, all things considered. Mm-hmm. I do think that Bayern did do well for you know the kind of opposition they were up against in that game. But in general. Without Zane and Kane, the team looks completely lost. Uh, I'm going to have to necessarily agree because it is a lot of individual brilliance playing out Tupo right now. He's lucky that other teams in the Bundesliga don't have a Harry Kane and Leroy Sané. We hear about other players that are extremely talented, but in terms of talent, I think that our squad remains the most talented. It is just that other teams have better systems that get more out of their players in terms of performances. And if he had a true coach that could really get the most out of this team well the rest would be history would you what players would you rotate um i probably well the first thing is i mean limer for masrawi that that's a no-brainer conor limer for nusay masrawi is a no-brainer daniel perez for sven is a no-brainer i would not play limer at all i would drop leon goretzka and i would play rafael guerrero there instead i would take kingsley Coman off for serge gnabry I know Matissel is the popular option right now, but I think Ganabri needs the sharpness. And I Gnabry think has broken Gnabry, his arm. I completely forgot about that. Yes, yes, I, I know. What about that? Matissel has to start. Yeah. Tell, Tell has to start then. What Tell about Jamal Muziala on the left? I, I would say that Muziala on the left would be far more effective than uh, through the middle, but Tell has more impetus to start right now than Muziala does. So Tell should start on the left, Muller through the middle alongside Kane. I 
cannot disagree with that. I just feel that Tupel is not going to do that. No mention of Delict. He's never going to do it. Yeah. Do you, oh, yes. And what happened Delict, Delict for Upamecano. What has happened Del- to Delict? Delict for, apparently, he had a knee injury and he's been rested since then. But even prior to that, the fact that he wasn't starting is very worrying to me. It is weird because the knee injury thing, especially, like, the MRI apparently said that it was all clear, but he has not even trained since then. What is going on? I mean, I know about as well as you do, but it is very worrying that he hasn't trained since. What do you think it would say to the fan base if these certain players, Delict, Muller, Mitzrawi, they did not start against Copenhagen? What do you think the message would be? Well, I think Dilek's case is a bit more health-based. It depends on training. But if Mazrawi and Muller continue to not start, then it's just proof that Tuchel is stubborn and is not responding to the results at all and is almost satisfied with the way the team is playing right now, which is completely unacceptable. Yeah, I'm going to have to agree with that. I'm almost going to have to say that I feel that he has a certain agenda against some of these players. It's it, it's really annoying to see, but it reminds me a lot of the Kovac era at Bayern Munich where he inexplicably started Felipe Coutinho over Thomas Muller every single game. It was nuts. Um, You mentioned one thing I want to focus on. Rafael Guerrero at midfield. What can be expected if that happens? Well, Guerrero is not as defensively solid as one would expect a defender to be. He's always been more of a left wing back in a back three system. That's where Tuchel employed him at Borussia Dortmund all those years ago. But he is still pretty good in defense. He's a very good presser. But above all, he is a creative genius. At the end of, I believe, the tail end of July, up until then, no player had more assists in this calendar year than Rafael Guerrero in any league, in any top-level league. That includes Lionel Messi in League Earn. That includes Kevin De Bruyne in Manchester City. That includes any top player than you can think of, even in the MLS, even in South America. No player had more assists than him. And it was all down to his visionary passing and his ability to just break away really quickly. And on top of everything, he's a really good set-piece taker, both creatively and taking a shot directly. He's a really good volley on him, too. He's a very versatile player on the ball. He's a far better option than Goretzka is for the midfield right now. Interesting, interesting. So you envision him taking over Goretzka's role and Kimmich reprising his DM style of play? I would think that's what Tuchel would go with, yeah. But if it was up to me, then I would employ a completely different midfield system altogether. Please enlighten us. Well, it would be a midfield three, but... It, uh, it it oh relies god, on the oh it relies on the entire structure of the team changing, so yeah, no, it would be a bit more not complicated. A, not a midfield three, Siler. Come on, this is Bayern Munich. Midfield threes are not part of our DNA. We have the four-two-three-one baked in. Okay, how about Mazdawi inverting to make it a double pivot alongside Kim, and then Guerrero is an advanced role alongside Musiala. So you can make it a midfield like, box. Uh, yeah, I'm I'm fine with the midfield box. The right-back inverting is a thing we've been doing since Philip Lam was here, so it's nothing new. Yep, and Mazawi's done it for us too, under Nagelsmann. Only Conrad Leimer doesn't do it, which is very weird because he's a midfielder. Well, Leimer's playstyle is more suited to being a wide right-back. I say playstyle purely in the fact that he has pace and can cross, not in the fact that he has any technical Danny Cross, our crosses are really mediocre. Like This just goes back to Harry Kane's service. If you watch any game played by a team like, say, Real Madrid. Look at their crosses compared to what we do. It is heaven and hell difference. And it's just like, it is such an easy way to score or such a direct way to score. I don't understand why coaches buy Munich. This is not just a tuple thing. Nagelsmann and Flick also de-emphasize crossing. Why they don't go for it more often. Pep Guardiola, when he was here, he was 
our team was an amazing crossing machine. And when we had Joao Cancelo last season, well, we were just blown away by how good his crosses were because we had not seen something like that for such a long time. Well, yeah, I think that Conrad Lima's crossing isn't on the same level as Joao Cancelo or even Nusair Mazraoui, but it's the kind of, it's his natural decision-making almost to try and cross Although that wasn't the case yesterday where he tried everything he but crossing cut for some inside. reason. He kept cutting inside and Kane kept going out wide to facilitate that, which was... Ah, I, don't, I, I, I cannot explain that particular decision. It was so, so bad. My breaking point yesterday was this one situation where Kane was literally free and unmarked in the box. And Limer looked up and very clearly saw him. And instead of playing the cutback to him, he for some reason tried backheeling it to Musiala and completely messed it up to and Lukeva intercepted it. It was the most frustrating thing I've watched all week, pretty much. Yeah, that pretty much checks out because the most frustrating thing I have watched all week is Bayern Munich related, which is saying something since I have a current rural hospital posting and the stuff we see there, my goodness. I think, Siler, we have recorded for well over an hour now. I think we can end it here. So, your final prediction for Copenhagen is a 7 0 loss, I guess. Uh, yep, and the Tuchel Dap Dance. That's the most important part. Okay, okay, okay. Um, I guess I guess that's where we should end it. I don't know what else to say. <laughs> Thank you for listening to this episode of Bavarian Podcast Works. This was I Need No Name and Sadler talking about certain very important topics by Munich related for the last week. Please leave your comments on our blog at Bavarian Football Works. We can also be found on Twitter at Bavarian FB Works and our personal ads are in the podcast description. You can find us on any podcasting platform, Spotify, Apple, Google, Podbean, whatever. And we will see you next time, which will probably be our post-game review of the Copenhagen game, provided we can actually get someone there because podcasters like us are dropping like flies at the moment. Thank you for listening.